Turn, if you would, please, to the Gospel of John, chapter 4. John, chapter 4. John, chapter 4 is where the Lord Jesus went to a city of Samaria. And you'll recall the geography that Jerusalem is in Judea, and then to the north of that, is Samaria, and to the north of that is Galilee. So, in Samaria now, that's where the Lord Jesus is. He's speaking with a woman at the well. Verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you, Jews, say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, The hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain, which would be a reference to Mount Gerizim in Samaria, nor in Jerusalem, where the Jewish temple was, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. I'd like to speak to you about true worshipers. I guess the question is, are you one? Maybe there's some here, and the real question is, were you one? Because you're not now. Good part is we can ask the question, Do you want to become one? True worshipers. What is a true worshiper? We're not talking about people going through a practice, some kind of a formal thing. It's true worshipers. It's not fake. It's not false. This is not erring. These are true worshipers. I want to speak to you about worship. The Lord Jesus here is speaking to this woman about that subject And I want you to notice that what he says, he speaks about the possibility of being a true worshiper. And being a worshiper, you know, he says, the hour is coming and now is. You know, in the Gospel of John, the Lord Jesus, and even in the next chapter, there is a reference to that where he he says that the, the hour is coming and now is when the dead, the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. You go a little further, you come to chapter 16. The hour is coming. Yes, has now come. That you will be scattered, each to his own. The idea is, it is an impending, it is an imminent moment. And what we have read together is one of the greatest impending moments. One of the greatest changes. It was about to take place. And the Lord Jesus is putting this woman 
And it would have been through this woman telling the story, because she was the only one there. The disciples weren't there yet. This transforming moment when it comes to collective worship. And so he speaks to her and he says, I want to tell you now that it is, a, it is imminent. It's beginning that now is. His death, his resurrection, there is a new, a new form, a new mode of worship that is going to be taking place. The hour is coming and now is. He said, well, the hour is coming. I'm looking forward to the day when we get home in heaven. John appreciated that. He talked there about that, that heavenly scene. And in heaven, we will be gathered around the throne and we will sing to the Lord Jesus. For you were slain, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God. We will be involved in worship for all eternity. He said, I can't wait to get there. The Lord Jesus is not talking about there. He's talking about here. He's not talking about then. He's talking about now. The possibility exists right now for you, no matter what your age is, no matter what your gender is. We can be true worshipers right now. The possibility exists for us today. But I want you to think with me, not only about the possibility, I do need to mention the prerequisite, the prerequisite the Lord Jesus mentioned. He says that is the Father, the Father. The Father is seeking such. These are the ones he seek, he's seeking true worship to worship in this new way. The Father. You see, if you're not a child of God, you cannot participate in this kind of worship. This is for those who are in the family of God. It is not now the creator God. This is God the Father. The Father seeketh such. How does the Gospel of John begin? Remember in chapter 1? Thank God for how it begins. To as many as received him. To them, what does he give? He gives the right to be the children of God. And when we are saved now, we are eligible to become. Doesn't mean we necessarily will be. We are eligible to become. True worshipers. And so, I don't know about you, but I find that, I found that incredibly helpful. When you have a gospel series and you're having gospel meetings, what do we pray for? You say, we pray that souls will be saved from the eternal burnings, rescued, delivered from ever being in that awful place so they can be in heaven. I wonder, I wonder sometimes... If we really get, the, get a hold of what happens when a person gets saved. We have just seen somebody turn from a potential whaler to an eternal worshiper. When you see someone saved, a neighbor, one of your children, it's great to think they'll never be in hell and never be punished for their sin. But to think that now they can, be, this is for God, a worshiper. They're a child of God. What a potential. And when someone meets that prerequisite, unto him that loved us, loosed us from our sins. That's a great thing. And that's all important. But don't forget the rest of it. He has made us kings and priests. Made us for worship. But I want you to think with me as well. Think with me now about the participants, if you will, the participants in this new form of worship. Just bear with me now. If you can just stick with me here. Uh, I'd appreciate it. I don't want to lose you. The participant. You know that in every gospel, there's something unique about women. It's not found in the other gospels. 
What do you find in Matthew's gospel? Well, there's where you have a genealogy. You say, have a genealogy? No, in Matthew, there's five women in a genealogy. We don't really appreciate how revolutionary that is. You're including women in a genealogy? What kind of women are you including? Well, there's a prostitute. There's a woman who committed a horrible type of sexual sin with her father-in-law. There's a Gentile woman. There was a woman who was unfaithful in her marriage. And then there was a young woman. You say, what a group. You see, the Lord Jesus had a revolutionary mindset. Revolutionary, not for him, but for everybody else. And his appreciation of the value of women that was unheard of in his day and days before. They are to be elevated. Matthew's gospel, the gospel of the king, women are brought into there. When you come to Mark's gospel, what do you have in Mark's gospel? You have a unique statement at Mark chapter 16. It's about a woman. The Lord Jesus rises from the dead. And what does it say in Mark's gospel? It says he appeared on first. First. Imagine that. Imagine those men in those days, macho men, and he appears first to Mary Magdalene. That's Mark's gospel. The servant. He's serving now, first of all, comes out of the grave. And on his heart is a woman. He appears to Mary Magdalene. Then you come to Luke's gospel. There's something else that shocks the world at that time. You come to Luke's gospel and there's a woman called Mary. And she's sitting sitting at the feet of a teacher. No woman sat at a foot of a teacher. That was for men. Like Paul at the feet of Gamaliel. Not when it comes to the Lord Jesus. He appreciates that women can learn just as much or even more than men. The value of a woman to the Savior. And now when it comes to the issue of worship, why the ages have gone on. And when it comes to worship, who's been involved in the worship? It's been men. And it's to a woman. What kind of a woman? It's a Samaritan woman that he is going to speak this new, this revolutionary type of worship, this distinct type of worship, it is going to involve women. They are going to be involved. True worshipers, the participants. Oh, you say, well, will it be just the priest, a group of small people? No, no, Peter got a hold of it. He writes about all believers, living stones. We're a priesthood. We are a priesthood. What does that mean? That means we can present sacrifices. We can present sacrifice, spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so you get this idea now that what the Lord Jesus is saying, this new kind of worship, it's available to every single, every single one in the, in the family of God. But I want you to think with me now, if you will, about the paradox, the paradox here. The Father seeks worship. Now, I have to be very careful here because I don't want to be confused for any, even the slightest bit of irreverence. But is asking and seeking other people to worship one, is that not a little selfish in our natural thinking? And yet we know God can't be selfish. You see, the the loving father of John's gospel who is always giving. Here he's seeking. And not just seeking true worshipers, 
It's that they may worship him. How do we, how do we understand that? Well, the only way to understand it is this. That what he is seeking is always the very, very best. So what is the very best for, one, for a child of God? There is no better or higher life. There is nothing more fulfilling. There's nothing more for which you and I were made than to be worshipers. Yes, he receives the worship, but that's actually, you could not be in a better position than when you are a worshiper. That's why in our world where people are all living for self, and people are all living for things, and people are all living for activity, and people are all living for fun, and we're wondering why we're so unfulfilled. It's because we were made, and now the Father is saying, because of the work of Christ, and because we can come into his family, we can be true worshipers, and we will reach our full potential. That's what we were made for, worshipers of the Father. But I want you to think as well, that worship, what is it? Well, the word actually means to, to fall down and to lay out oneself before somebody. Why would you do that? If suddenly I turned around and I turned to Brother Phil and I, I got down before him, you would either call 911 or you would say, what in the world is going on with that man? All due respect to Phil, why would you do that? You would only do that, you see, in those days you would do it when you came across somebody and there's something about that person that, make, that, that you admire. There's some worth that you see in that person, something they are, something they have done that causes you to respect, to show reverence and respect that you would lay yourself out before them. You know what happened? It was not what happened when, when John saw the angel. He, he, he's, and the angel was showing, he, he goes to bow down and the angel says, no, worship God. No, 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 don't, don't find worth in me. Don't find reasons for worshiping. This is not about me. You find worship, you worship God. What is worship? Worship is not making ourselves feel good in spiritual language and in spiritual activities. Worship is when we appreciate something about God, something about his son, and we go to the Father and we present our, we lay ourselves out. We are expressing our reverence, our respect, our admiration, and our love for what we have appreciated in him, about him, and about his son. The Father is seeking true worshipers. And yes, God will receive honor and glory. But you will never do anything better or higher in your life than being a worshiper, a true worshiper. But I want you to think with me as well about the prescription, the prescription for worship. What is this idea of true worship? Well, he says God is spirit, so you're going to have to worship God differently now. God is spirit, and you will worship God in spirit and in truth. Well, Samaritan woman says, well, we have Mount Gerizim. And you Jews have that temple down there, physical places, and you can go to one or two places, and we think our place is better than your place. 
And the Jews think our place is the real place. Your place is profane, like an idol's temple. After all, you're not the real people anyway. We're the real people. Salvation is of the Jews. We know how you were formed. We remember the story when the Assyrians came into Samaria. And then some of your people, your people, they intermarried. And so you people are not the real, you're not real true Jews. You're only half Jews. Remember, that's why they came to the Lord Jesus. Because after all, if Joseph was not his father, then they would see that he was kind of like the Samaritans, half Jew, because he only had the Jewishness of through Mary. And so they called him a Samaritan. What an insult. And the Jews, there was this debate going on about which place. The Lord Jesus says, I want to introduce a new concept. The new concept is, this is talking now, you say, well, didn't David worship when he was out writing the Psalms? Of course he did. This is talking about collective worship. And when they, mar- when they met in, 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 up in the Mount Gerizim, they, they followed a form of worship, and they used the first five books of the Bible, and the Jews used the, 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 the Old Testament, and they used the first five books of the Bible, and they're in different places. Now, the prescription. Where can we go to worship now? The hour is coming, and now is. He says, look, it's going to be able to take place in many places, not just one place. Why? Because God is spirit. And you're going to have to go worship in places where worship in spirit and in truth. Thank God for that. You see, this is just the beginning. It's going to be developed as you go through your New Testament. We're going to find that there's a, there are different, yes, our worship is in heaven. And the heavenly sanctuary, it goes there. But where will it collectively be carried out? There is going to be lots of places. That's his point. There will be lots of places where worship can take place. The where. The prescription is where there's going to be a lot of places, not just one place now. It will be in multiple places. That's why Paul says when he writes to Timothy, he says, it's not worship, but it's prayer. He says that all men in every place, every place. What is he talking about? He's talking about New Testament churches. Every place. That's a New Testament prayer meeting. There will be lots of places, but it will all be worship in spirit and in truth. But now come to the most difficult part. Notice how the prescription is not just, not just where we will worship, in collect different places. He goes on and gives the detail here about how, how we will worship. Could I just repeat something we already heard today? Her appeal is to our fathers. So when I heard mine said is this, when it comes to worship, whatever we've been doing for a long time, that must be because we've been doing it a long time. Therefore, that's the real thing. That's genuine worship. Just because we have been worshiping God a certain way does not make it true worship. Just because previous generations worshipped in a certain way, that does not make true worship true worship. Second thing. She says, you Jews. The implication is, we Samaritans. You see, tradition and historical habit does not make worship valid. Majority, popularity, 
equally doesn't make a form of worship legitimate. Just because everybody is saying this is the way you worship, that doesn't make it worship. That doesn't make it correct. The second, third thing then is, it's not because it's a historical practice. It's not because it's a common practice. What about the Samaritans? What was their worship all about? Well, they believed in the Old Testament. According to the book of Deuteronomy, they had a change in their copy of the first five books. That's all they had. They didn't use the rest of the Old Testament that the Jews did. They just had the Pentateuch, and there were some changes in there. And instead, they changed in Deuteronomy 27. They changed it, and it came out Mount Gerizim. So that's why they had that. And then it was probably about the 5th century, around 400 B.C., when there was a man related to Sanballat, and he apparently he built with uh, was involved in the construction of the of a temple on Mount Gerizim that was destroyed about two hundred years later. Even though it had been destroyed, they still had their system of worship relative to Mount Gerizim. They believed that Mount Gerizim was where Abraham offered up Isaac, and they believed in Mount Gerizim. That's where Abraham met Melchizedek. If you remember the story. So what does the Lord Jesus say? He says, you worship what you don't know. Why did he say that? After all, did they not have, did they not have, like they had animal sacrifices? Did they not have like a priesthood? Yeah, they did. Did they not have some? Did they not have a temple? Yes, they did. Did they not have some of the, some of the book of the, 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 the first five books of the, uh, of, of the New Old Testament? Did they not have some of the revelation of God? They did have some of it. Don't settle for partial biblical correctness. We say, well, God receives all worship and that. It doesn't really matter how you worship just as long as there's something in there for God. How you go about it really doesn't matter to God. You'll never find that in the Bible. Here is a group of people, and the Lord Jesus says, you don't know because you don't have. What you're doing is not governed by all the revelation of God. Now is there going to be something different? Don't settle. Don't settle for some kind of worship where you can say, well, at least part of it. Don't settle for that. Now he comes to the Jewish side, and he says about the the Jewish form of worship, he says, yes, what you do not know, we know what we worship, the Jews, for salvation is of the Jews. And the one who was standing to them represented salvation, both the salvation of souls and the future salvation of Jerusalem, all wrapped up in one man, our beloved Lord Jesus Christ. But he says, the hour is coming and true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. It won't be in this mountain, Mount Gerizim. And he said, it won't be in Jerusalem either. We're setting that aside. He said, what was the problem with that? After all, that was all from the Old Testament. Follow me closely, please. The Lord Jesus has said, don't settle for something that's just a historical tradition. Don't settle for a kind of worship that's a common practice just because everybody else is doing it. That doesn't mean it's, it's valid. 
don't settle for something that's got some parts of the Bible involved in obedience in it. Jewish. Jerusalem. Don't settle for something that was legitimate from the Old Testament. Don't bring in that worship. Don't mix Old Testament worship with this new mode of worship. It won't be in Mount Gerizim and all that partial thing. It won't be in Jerusalem and all that old thing, with all due respect. What the Lord Jesus is introducing now is not something like that. It's going to be different. What is it? He goes on to say, very clearly, he says, the Father is seeking such to worship him. Who? True worshipers will worship the Father. Now follow this closely, please. They will worship the Father in body and truth. That's not what my Bible says. They will worship the Father in, follow it closely, in soul and truth. That would be more emotion. Wouldn't it involve nothing wrong with emotion? God made us with emotion. But get more of the soulish side, the emotion. No, 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 he says. Not God, it's not emotion. This is not emotion-driven worship. He says they, this new mode of worship will not be where you'd just be like bodies going to a temple and offering everything physical, either partially there and it, it, it wasn't, wasn't sanctioned by God or, or, or what was sanctioned by God or anything like. No, no, no. That's all. That's all. Either partially. It's all wrong or, or it's old. The new thing is this. It won't be physically so physically oriented and it won't be emotionally governed. He says, actually, like so many times in the Gospel of John, you know, you remember how many times he says things must happen? He said a man must be born again in chapter 3. And he said the Son of Man must be lifted up. And it says that he must go to Jerusalem, uh, to Samaria. And now he says, this new way of worship, if you're going to be a true worship worshiper, the standard is extremely high. If you want to be a true worshiper, you must, the Lord says. This is not a suggestion. This is not an option. He says we must worship in spirit and in truth. What does that mean, in spirit and in truth? Spirit is spiritual, guided by the spirit. You say, well, that's a little vague. I'm not sure quite how my spirit is and how that works. But what about the other part? That we do know. Spirit and in truth. John 1, John was already talking about grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Right? The law given Moses, grace and truth, Jesus Christ. John got a hold of something and he wrote in his letters all about, not grace and truth, he wrote there in his letters about love and truth. Now he's reading, he's telling us in his gospel about spirit and truth. 
The common denominator is this issue of truth, truth. Grace is not grace if it goes outside of truth. It is guided, it is directed, it is expressed within the realm and in agreement with all truth. Love is not love if it in any way goes against truth. It's not love. You say, well, we, yeah, I know it's not right, but we want to express our love. To, it's not love if somehow it compromises truth. Love and truth always go together. What's the Lord saying here? From now on, it will be spiritual. And it will be according to truth. I was reading a commentary by Murray Harris, and I like the way he said it. He said, it's in a spiritual manner and accordance with truth. That's it. Collective worship will be in a spiritual manner. What's the difference between spirit and everything else? Well, there are certain things that appeal to the senses. Imagine if you went to the, one of those, either of those temples, you, the smell, the smell of animals being slaughtered, the smell of animals being burned, the smell of fragrance, and, and what you might hear at those places. And, and there would be certain things that would appeal to the senses. And you would take things and you would taste them and the taste would be important. There's no, no, no. This is something, this is not something that's going to appeal to the body. This is not something that's going to appeal to your soul. This is something that's going to be spiritual. Now, it doesn't mean it can't involve a body, the body. It doesn't mean it won't have components that are going to touch your emotions. But let us never confuse what is corporal, what is for the body, what is emotional, and what is spiritual. The reason I say that is because I don't know about you. But there are certain things that move my emotions. And I can tell you, sadly, from personal experience, that even when I am dry spiritually, my emotions can be moved. And I can sadly tell you, because I don't want to accuse you, I'll just confess it openly in front of you, that I can physically go through something and be spiritually dry, cold. Can you? This is a spiritual, biblical, open to all, you say, well, when you come to the rest of the New Testament, you find out that women, their sisters are, are to be silent, even there in 1 Corinthians 14. So what about their worship? There's no mention here that it's going to be audible. Do not confuse the distinctions that are made in the New Testament with value judgments. That's our worldly thinking. I sometimes think that God receives much more from our sisters than from some of us who get up and fill space. The capacity of women to worship in the New Testament exceeds the capacity that we see in some of the men. Amazing. 
And he says, now the Father seeks such to worship him. Now, I just want to just close by thinking of the Father and his pursuit. I wonder if you're interested in becoming a worshiper. What do you have to do to become a worshiper? You actually have to find something in God and in his son that you're appreciating. Worship is not when music plays and I feel good. Worship is when there's a true appreciation, expression appreciation, and God feels good. If I can just put it in those simple terms. It's when the Father is pleased when expression of appreciation is about an admiration of his son. You say, well, that was a great, great breaking of bread this morning. We came together collectively and I, I, I took part and I just, I felt so wonderful. Well, that's okay, I guess. Better than feeling awful. Just because you felt wonderful, that doesn't make it good worship. That's not true worship necessarily. It's what does God think? Is there a genuine appreciation? Not the same old thing, kind of a formalistic thing, and, a, and a, an admiration and appreciation, something fresh, true worshipers that are worshiping spiritually and according to truth. So you say, well, don't you think God could get something out of people who are worshiping that are his children in a lot of places? Look, my concern is not what God gets out of those places. I'll leave that up to God. What I'm concerned about is what does God get out of where I am? What kind of standard are you going to set for yourself when it comes to worship? God says here in this passage, I will receive, the Father will receive worship that is spiritual and that is according to the Bible. Spirit and truth. You say, are you saying that places that are not according to the truth, that God doesn't get anything out of them? That's not, I'm not going there. I'm saying, I don't want to settle for anything. May God help us, none of us to settle for anything less than true worshipers in spirit and in truth. So, today we went up to heaven and somehow we could just get a window into the Father's heart. What would he be wanting? Evangelists, we need them. And we do. Spiritually active and service people. Yes, we do. But I think if you could look into the Father's heart, He says, I want you to be a true worshiper. Let me ask you if you died and on your tombstone, all they put was true worshiper, if it was a true statement, would you be happy with that? I think the Father would. What are we wasting our time with? Waiting around for heaven? Why don't we get into appreciating more of Christ and appreciating our God and being true worshipers? You see, this is available. I was thinking today, sometimes of older people, older believers, and sometimes we say to them, well, we know you can't do what you used to do and you can't serve and maybe you can't preach and maybe you can't visit and maybe you can't. All you can do is pray. And really, that's a good thing. You just go home and pray. You know what? We underestimate the power 
of older believers praying. Dear believers, we need you to pray and pray more. But can I just suggest to you something else? In the closing years of your life and any one of our lives, to invest yourself in worship. You can do it just as much as a new believer. Take it home with you. The Father today still is seeking true worshipers such to worship him. I hope you'll be interested, motivated, and committed to be a true worshiper.